321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. And today we're thrilled to have Rebecca Rombaum, vice president of student success at the Flatiron School, as our guest. We're going to be talking about the Flatiron Coding School, how the program works, who enrolls, what happens when you finish and how to know if you can handle it. So hi, Rebecca. Welcome to 321 I Relaunch. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So before we dive in, can you please tell our audience what is the Flatiron School and what do you teach there? Absolutely. Um, I'm particularly excited to be here because we are basically a school for career changers and upskillers. Um, Flatiron School is a technical education organization. We teach software engineering and data science courses, and we teach them in a whole bunch of different formats um, that we can get into, really aimed at being accessible and available to people wherever they are in the world and wherever they are in their career journey. Excellent. And can you tell us a little bit more about your role at Flatiron and maybe how long you've been there and how you got there? So I've been at Flatiron School for five years, um, and another reason I'm excited to be here is because I'm kind of the ultimate relauncher, perhaps. I've never had a consistent function throughout my career at all. Um, I've worked at a few different startups, Flatiron School is my third startup, and always been able to kind of transfer the skills and the experiences from function to function and industry to industry. So at Flatiron School, I think I've, I've been most consistent here. I've been responsible essentially for the same thing for all five years. And that's what happens when students complete the program. How can we ensure that students, after they succeed in doing the education and gaining the skills, can use those skills to do what they want to do next? Usually that's get a job. And so the teams that I oversee are responsible for all of the kind of non-academic components of putting your skills to work in the job market and landing a job. Got it. And can you just give us a little more detail? Give us an example of a flat iron course. How long does it last? Does it meet at night or on the weekend? Is, is there an online component? Um, and how many people are in the class and who teaches it? Yeah, great question. So we have a bunch of, of options for format and location. Um, the flagship program that we're known for is a career change program. We call these intensive programs, career change programs that give you enough skills to be successful in a new discipline in your career. And what we've started with and what we've been doing since 2012 is a 15-week full-time program in New York City that's on campus, that's all day long, it's really intense, and students can go from just familiar with code to professional software engineer in that time. Um, wow. As we've progressed as a company and sort of thought about what other options do we want to offer? What other populations do we want to be able to reach? We launched that same content and that same skill building capability in an online program that's entirely self-paced. And so when we thought about who's taking a 15-week in-person full-time course, that was most usually folks who were earlier in their career. Nearly all of our students are career changers, but someone who can go full-time in a major metro 
maybe doesn't have family obligations yet, maybe doesn't have a job that's um, so so high paying or so far into their career that they can just quit for three or four months. Um, and so those are people sort of pivoting a little bit earlier in their career on average. Mm-hmm. When we thought about kind of who who was less often in those classes, it was students who were a little older, who were a little more experienced, who maybe couldn't move from wherever their family lived to New York City or a major metro to take the course. And so we launched that same content and lots of community supports and, and, and instructor supports in an online format that's entirely self-paced that you can do from anywhere. Got it. And that sounds like it would be ideally suited for relaunchers. So our primary population are people who have taken a multi-year career break for a range of reasons and now are interested in getting back to work. And in it, just as you're saying, uh, uh, I'd say at least a third of them are examining their career path to date before they took the career break. And they're realizing that maybe they were not on the right career path to begin with, and they want to relaunch their career in an entirely new direction. Or maybe the job prospects for what they were doing before are are dismal or non-existent now if their industry has gone through a complete uh, change. So um, relaunchers could be a, a prime population for people who would you know, be interested in and want to be taking your courses. Yeah. And there's, um, there's one student I'm thinking of in particular, let's call her Sarah. Um, she, she took um, several years off, about a decade off to raise her family after she had been working in publishing. Mm-hmm. And so she worked in publishing for about a decade, took some time off for, for family for about a decade and came to Flatiron School to reskill. Um, and she's from the Midwest, couldn't do it in a major metro, couldn't move and do it full time. But shortly after graduating our course, landed this amazing apprenticeship at a company that's innovating on medicine and insurance providing, um, that's innovating on medicine and insurance as an apprentice software engineer. And she'll get to work remotely from her home as a software engineer, having reskilled through our online course. It's one of those amazing stories that we hear every day about students who really, you know, take take the time to understand what do I want to do next and choose Flatiron School to reskill and start on that path. That's a really amazing example. And it actually um, leads to what my next question is. So you said that this is a person who had a background in publishing, presumably brand new or not that familiar with coding unless she was doing something related to it during her career break. So how much do you need to know? What is your technical expertise have to be before you can even consider taking one of your courses, whether it's the in-person person version or the online version? Yeah, that's a great question. So we think of the in-person full-time course or the online career change course as kind of the the last step in a journey of exploration of what you want to do next and whether coding and software engineering are the right career for you. We have a lot of discovery and introductory materials before that, a bit higher up in the funnel or earlier in the journey. And there's tons of free resources online that students will usually familiarize themselves with before deciding to take one of our career change courses. Um, For example, 
we have about 75 to 100 hours completely free, totally introductory coding content content on flatironschool.com that thousands and thousands of students are working through at any time on the platform that is the same platform we use for the career change courses, but it's just to help people understand, is this fun for me? Do I, do I get excited and um, challenged and intellectually engaged doing this work? And is this the kind of work that I want to continue to dig into and maybe do as my career? And some subset of those students um, maybe will take a skills course, which is a short form software engineering education course, and then maybe they'll enroll in our career change courses. But we really encourage people to spend some time with the discipline, spend some time with the tools. And we and tons of other organizations provide free or really inexpensive resources to do that because it is a big decision. Um, and, you know, you want to see if you like it before you take the plunge. Right. And in fact, do you recommend it? I mean, is that a prerequisite for starting one of the more intensive courses that you spend a certain amount of time or get through a certain um, number of this uh, of, of these resources that you have online? So, you know, that people come in with sort of a minimum baseline background of what they're getting into? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And, and we certainly do um, in our immersive application process, there's an interview um, where we we want to know sort of how much time have you spent with these tools and how excited are you about spending 800 hours <laughs> over the next few months uh, learning to go deeper and, and professionalizing your skills? Because, you know, s- students make a commitment to us when they enroll in those courses and we make a commitment back to them that, you know, we've, we've vetted your experience thus far and we have confidence that you can be successful in this really intense fast-moving education experience Um, in the online program the pacing is a little bit different and so the prerequisites are also a little bit different we want you to have tried the tools um, we want you to have interrogated the discipline a little bit and familiarized yourself with what it feels like to code but you can move at whatever pace you want. And so coming in, you can have a little bit less experience because it's not required that you're keeping up with the class every week for 15 weeks. And so what kind of range of skill level do you have of people who are in, let's say the in-person course, because I guess online is, is each person's just doing it on their own and they can kind of skip over if they're very, if they have some experience, they can skip over the early parts and dive in where they think they aren't getting it where, but when you're in the in-person course, is it possible that there are people like our relauncher, Sarah, who came from publishing and there's also, you know, relauncher, um, Carol, who, um, has used to be a software engineer, but then took a 15 year career break and has um, been dabbling in it a little bit while she's been on career break. Oh, yeah, that's a perfect sort of example of the spectrum of people who will be in our in-person courses. Um, We're actually quite purposeful about making the classes really diverse from a background perspective. So we have students who were doing very technical spreadsheet work as maybe an analyst at a bank or a private equity investor. And are familiar with that set of tools and and can kind of use those transferable skills 
to apply them to picking up software engineering. And we have musicians and their transferable skill is creating something out of this alphabet of music notes and taking these components and building something beautiful. And that's what coding is. Um, so we have people with very varied levels of previous technical experience coming into the immersive courses and, and being really successful across the board. It's actually pretty incredible to see. Great. And I'm going to want to ask you um, about some of those success stories a little later. But let me just jump back and mention something that we've seen in the news. And that is big news as far as Flatiron is concerned, that WeWork acquired Flatiron. And I wanted to know if you can comment on that and talk about what it might mean for the future of Flatiron. Yeah, we we are so thrilled to be part of WeWork now. Um, you know, in the early days of Flatiron School, we realized that running a physical campus was a big deal. It's very um, operational. It takes a lot of effort to be excellent. And when we launched our second program, we launched online because we wanted to be accessible to people all over the world. And we also wanted to be really careful about launching new programs that required all of the operational complexity of running space. Um, and part of the WeWork partnership and acquisition is that we can now do all the crazy things that we wanted to do around building campuses in cities all over the world. And so immediately what we're doing with WeWork is creating campuses inside WeWork's all over the world. And just since we, we joined WeWork in October, and just in the last three or four months, we've launched campuses in Houston, Brooklyn, London, and Washington, D.C. And, and we're not slowing down with the openings, but um, sort of more, more philosophically, WeWork is all about empowering people to do the work that they love. And Flatiron School is absolutely about the same thing. And so we're so excited to build kind of a global campus of learners who can connect to each other, who can connect to the best content in the world, and who can connect to WeWork members for networking opportunities, jobs, um, and to have members connect to us for reskilling and upskilling. It's just such an exciting partnership with so many um, components that we'll be rolling out over the next few years. But in the short term, we're making Flatiron School's immersive, intensive experience available in many more cities all over the world, which is truly exciting. Yeah, that is in incredible. <laughs> and congratulations. <laughs> really um, excellent to hear about that and super exciting for what that means for the future. You can only imagine just like let your imagination run <laughs> yes. wild in terms of um, what that means for the expansion. So so that. That is really excellent. And it sounds like that partnership makes a, a, a huge amount of sense, which is probably why yeah, it happened. Right. <laughs> so, you're listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. This is your host, Carol Fishman Cohen, and I am speaking with Rebecca Rombaum, Vice President of Student Success at the Flatiron School today. 
And we are just talking about uh, the exciting news about Flatiron being acquired by WeWork and what that means for the future of Flatiron School. Um, now, I want to jump back into, though, some questions for you, Rebecca, about what happens um, after people take the Flatiron course, uh, the online course, I guess when they complete the course, the online course or the in-person course, um, what is, like, do you offer help with people getting jobs afterward or are they on their own? And what type of, do you have any statistics about what happens when, when people complete the program? Yeah, we offer a ton of support to help people meet their post-program goals and get a job. Um, since the very early days of Flatiron School, we've always believed that learning to code and demonstrating your skills to the market are two different skill sets that require two different areas of training. Um, and my job since I started here five years ago has been to constantly ask ourselves, what are the resources that students need to help them be successful in the job search? And so what that's evolved into is a really robust set of supports for students um, that every student in a career change course gets access to, whether you take it in Washington, D.C. or London, whether you take it online or in person in the classroom. These resources are available to every student. Um, and we've, we've really had the time and the attention to learn what it takes to help a student get a job. And so our career services offering for students is really three pillars of support, three main pillars of support. The first one is this framework called the Career Services Commitment. And that's basically a checklist. You can find it on flatironschool.com. It's open source, available to the public. It's basically a checklist of the activities that we know make someone successful in a job search. It's things like contact this many people who are relevant to your job search every week. It's things like write a blog post every week about things that you're learning um, and things that you're working on. And it really helps lay out, demystify what are the components of a successful job search in this field. And so that's one pillar. The second pillar is our career prep curriculum. And so, you know, we want, we want a checklist to be sort of concise and easy to follow as much as we can. Um, but there's nuance in all those things, right? There's nuance in what it means to reach out to someone relevant to your job search. Um, there's nuance in how to have that conversation once you get in the room. Um, who should I even be reaching out to? How do I find their email address? So there's lots of questions, right, related to how, the how about doing these steps. Um, and so we have a, a custom curriculum that we've built in-house that walks students through the, the how behind each what um, and helps students understand kind of really how to approach doing these activities. And so that's the second pillar. And then the third pillar is our career coaches. Um, and this is something I've actually never, never seen anywhere else where every single student in our career change courses towards the end of their course will get paired one-on-one -on -one with a career coach. We have a team of coaches all over the world um, who work with students individually through their job search. And what your career coach is for is to help you understand and execute 
in whatever ways are the most effective ways for you, which are different for everyone, those steps on the checklist and the how behind the what. Um, so some students will have, you know, just be blocked writing emails, won't, won't have too much experience or understanding of, you know, what a great networking email looks like or what a great thank you email looks like. Um, and so your career coach will help with that. Some students have, you know, got their first job right out of college and have, have gone up the ladder at that organization and have never written a resume. So your career coach will help you with that. Um, so there's a structured set of steps that your coach helps walk you through that I call minimum viable job search stuff, collateral. Um, yeah, that's a good. So yeah, yeah. You, you know, you need a resume, you need a LinkedIn, you need a 30 second elevator pitch. That's the answer. You tell me about yourself or walk me through your background. Um, and every coach does that stuff with every student. And then after that collateral is completed, your coach will meet with you every single week to walk through what's going on in your job search, where you're succeeding, what might be a bottleneck and what steps we can take to improve and get you to an offer. Got it. Wow. That's incredible. It's so comprehensive. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, you know, doing the work that we do at iRelaunch where we are in, you know, pretty deep side by side with people who are um, going through career transition. I can see how incredibly valuable this is and how you've thought it out in terms of these pillars. And that's that's really, really excellent. Um, can you tell us the profile of the person who is most likely to succeed in your courses and I'm guessing therefore succeed later in getting the job, even though you very correctly point out that those are two different, com completely different skill sets. But let's just take the first part. You had mentioned musicians or, you know, um, financial analysts that they have these transferable skills. Are there certain profiles and different types of backgrounds that you think are more likely to be a successful um, and, and maybe see the course through to the end and get the most out of it? Yeah, I think there's this, uh, there's this misconception with software engineering just in general that you need to kind of have started learning this stuff when you were 12 years old and have been born in the matrix and be a math whiz to be successful in this mm -hmm. discipline. And right. part of the magic of Flatiron School and, and our students and alumni is that that's just not true. We see it every day. And it's incredible to watch people who are teachers and woodworkers and skydiving instructors and rabbis complete the course and be so intellectually engaged in, in the work and so excited about the craft that they're, they're learning um, and then take those skills into the market and be be proof that you don't have to have been born in the matrix to be a software engineer and be successful in their careers. Um, things that we see students kind of come into the course with are really a love for problem solving um, and the desire to kind of solve puzzles and, and take puzzles apart. Um, people articulate that as as, as kind of how they discover code and what gets them hooked. Um, but man, we've seen so many kinds of people discover how empowering and engaging this set of skills is and can be as a career. Um, and I think, I think my answer to your question is 
all kinds of people. <laughs> yeah, um, like I love those examples from scuba diving instructors to oh yeah, from scuba diving to rabbis, to rabbis right? Absolutely, <laughs> love it. Um, can you share any stories of what, what, like what, what kinds of jobs do people end up with after they've completed the program? The people who get hired, um, what, what, what do they end up doing? Yeah. Um, so, so very early on Flatiron School committed ourselves to transparency and outcomes. We sort of saw this industry growing, software engineering education growing and thought, we want to hold ourselves to an exceptionally high standard of giving students the right expectations about what a Flatiron School education can mean at the end. What kind of job can you get? What can you expect when you graduate? And so since 2014, we've been publishing CPA examined reports where we hand all of our data to an auditor and they verify um, its accuracy and they verify the assertions that we make in that report. And we publish a report every year for every student in a career change course. We aggregate the numbers about completion, salary, job type. And in our most recent report, what you'll see is um, for the New York City software engineering course, the in-person program, 97% of our graduates get a job, accept a job in the time that they're working with us. Um, about 90% of those jobs are software engineering proper. So writing code, usually building software applications for the web. Um, the other 10% are other technical roles that really take advantage of or, or require coding knowledge. So software engineering teacher, teaching software engineering to adults or, or in, a, um, in a grade school. Um, product manager, which is working with software engineering teams to trans, translate business requirements into coding specs. Um, so there's a, there's a pretty broad range of jobs that benefit from or require these technical skills. And what we see when students graduate from the program and accept their first job is that around 60% of them accept a salaried job and around 40% of them accept an apprenticeship, which is an amazing way to kick off your career. And they're fairly well paid. Those apprenticeships are $28 an hour um, on average. And for the salary jobs, it's 76K. And so there's a real, those are real good paying jobs. <laughs> um, so there's a real ROI on the education for, for students who, you know, choose to go into the job market and, and job seek with us. Mm -hmm. So Rebecca, talking about ROI, um, if on average, a person who takes a salary job when they graduate would make $76,000, can you comment on the cost of the courses, the online and in-person? Absolutely. Our in-person courses are $15,000 for 15 weeks. And our online courses are $1,500 a month with a cap of 12K. So you could only pay for up to eight months. And if the curriculum takes you longer, you just stop paying after month eight. For the people who take the online courses, since I'm thinking a lot of our relauncher population may choose to go that route. Um, can you talk about what happens with job placement for people who um, complete the online course? Absolutely. The, the short answer is job placement is the same, um, which to us has never been a surprise. All of the mastery requirements 
to pass the course and complete the course are the same. All of the career services supports are the same. And so, of course, we would expect the placement rates are also comparable. And that's what we found to be true, which is something we're really proud of. Um, we work with hiring partners all over the world who work directly with Flatiron School to identify good fit graduates that they want to recruit for technical positions. And we service graduates from both programs to the same hiring partners and they've hired across programs and, and can't tell the difference between the skill levels. They're, they're the same. So Rebecca, about those stories that you have on your site about uh, alumni or people who have completed your course and what happens to them, uh, can you maybe share one of them that features a relauncher? Absolutely. Um, one of my very favorite career change stories is Bill, um, who was a student in our online program. Um, he lived in a rural town in the Northeast and Bill's previous career um, when he first started his career was actually as a programmer. Um, in the late eighties and nineties, he was a mainframe programmer at some of the biggest companies in the world. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the technology, mainframe programming is um, an earlier form of software development, um, not really used anymore, but super transferable skills, obsolete tools, um, tools that we're not, not using anymore. Um, and Bill actually stopped doing that job as a programmer um, and switched careers quite drastically, he bought a pig farm and became a pig farmer um, so that he could craft uh, a job and a life for himself that allowed him to spend more time with his family. Um, and he did that for, I think, over a decade. And his kids grew up and he decided he wanted to reskill, to update his software skills um, to be more relevant to the, to the job market today. And so he came to Flatiron School's online program um, he graduated from that online program. And when he completed it, our employer partnerships team actually found an opportunity at a gourmet meats company <laughs> that was <laughs> huh, <I love> it. <laughs> um, and connected him to that company. And that the company was growing so fast that they needed a software developer to help create their logistics and operations systems to, to help them scale. And man, who better than a former programmer with new modern web skills and a pig farming background to help that company reach their next phase. And so, so of course, he got that job and he's now a software engineer at that company. Ah, oh, I love that story. It's so perfect. Thank you for sharing it. We're running out of time. I'd love to ask you more questions, but I want to jump to um, the question that we like to end with all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your top piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about in our conversation today? Oh, man, yeah. I've, I've in the past five years, had the privilege to be directly involved in or oversee about 1,500 job searches out of Flatiron School. And the things that make students successful in the job search way more consistently than whether the material came easily to them or how technical they were, or their job was before Flatter in school, just attitude things. It's grit, positivity, and the ability to internalize and act on feedback. That's just, it's just so spot on. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. 
Um, we see this over and over again. Students have such a valuable resource in their career coach and their work with the school after graduation that folks who can apply focus and introspection to what they're, the feedback they're getting on their job search from the market and actually act on that with positivity and a good attitude and excitement for what's to come are absolutely the ones who get jobs. Mm, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Rebecca, it's just wonderful having you as a guest. Thanks for joining us today. Can you tell us how our audience can find out more about Flatiron School? Yes. Um, if you head to flatironschool.com, you'll be able to take a look at everything from our course offerings, schedules, where our campuses are located, and even check out some alumni stories of relaunchers who've done this with us before. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Carol. It's been great. You've been listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information about iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes in your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.